0: on
1: the stream.
0: Yesterday we had some uh, technical difficulties. Yeah, this Hopefully is. Hopefully today we won't have some weather. Difficulty. Like we
1: seem to have forgotten how to do this, so now we're trying something completely different. Like I. Well, I've, that
0: okay. That implies that we ever really knew what we were doing. No, we've the never web. done and this. And that's because, a mm, that that's a complete false narrative. Yeah, we've never done this
1: <laughs> the same way twice, and so why start now? We're just gonna so, like, now we're outside out. sweating. There's The sun is shitely brining. The sun is brightly shining, and there's yet raindrops falling on the roof over our heads and our delicate electronic equipment.
0: Well, that's because there is blue skies all around us, except for there is a literal dark cloud right the yes. fuck over our
1: head. Way too more, more of a metaphor than I was looking for. <sighs> so, yeah, we're sitting. we got an outdoor setup. I've got a paper script couple, covered in handwritten notes this is completely not the way we've ever done this before and we got a giant sheet of plexiglass in between us
0: fun but you know what i'm on my porch
1: there we go yeah we're. i'm
0: on my porch so i'm in my bathing suit and guess what it's white girl summer
1: yep the white claw is out
0: the claw is out we may
1: or may not be slightly medicated
0: i'm always slightly medicated but i have to
1: all right so We haven't done this in, like, forever now. It has been a huge long time since our last recording session. This is, theoretically, Chainsaw History, the podcast where we swear and make fun of historical figures.
0: Because they're terrible.
1: (laughs) I'm Jamie Chambers. This is my sister, Bambi. Hello. And we are a, theoretically, once again, a comedy history podcast. Uh, I'm not a historian, but I did take some history in college and... I am a nerd who says the f-word a lot.
0: I'm a mom. But I'm funny. Enough. Supposedly. Also in theory.
1: Speaking of hilarious parents. Ooh. I'll just leave that. Just, uh, like, I'm just like going to leave. I'm going to get myself in trouble if I keep talking anymore. So let's just jump straight into it. Our entire family is basically from Alabama specifically from the Fort Payne area, the former sock capital of the world. So it shouldn't have come as a surprise that a f- member of our family has a loose connection to the topic of today's episode.
0: I'm surprised all of our family doesn't have a loose <laughs> tie to the topic uh, this of this. This is
1: the one that I found on accident. In fact, this was the thing I found out about that gave me the whole idea to do this podcast. Uh, the May 6th, 1972 edition of the Daily Mail in Hagerstown, Maryland, gave a bunch of front-page real estate to an article titled, Wallace Campaign Does Booming Business, referring to a presidential election campaign. In the article, a close relative of ours, who we will not name, is identified as working at the Wallace headquarters almost every night for a month. This same relative is quoted as saying, Wallace has been my man for 10 years. We're going to get him in this year. Now, I don't know how much you know about George Wallace, longtime governor of Alabama and one-time presidential hopeful, but going into this research, I only knew a few lines from one speech.
2: And I say "segregation now, segregation tomorrow," and segregation forever." <laughs>
1: yeah, it's that guy. And honestly, that's really all I knew about him before this. Somebody we're closely related to was all about him back in 1972. And supposedly had been with him all since 1962. So think about that timeline in your head as we go through his story.
0: Oh, I love Alabama. I'm so glad that I don't actually live there.
1: No, we moved to the racist state next door. Yeah. So, in other words, I just knew...
0: Everything's fine.
1: (laughs) It's fine. And the good news is he's dead. Uh, George Wallace is the dead racist former governor of Alabama. But the fact that someone in our ent- our family supported him so strongly, but hasn't spoken about him like our entire lives, made me curious, and I fell down the research rabbit hole. And I expected to find a simple racist, and instead I found a way more complicated man. That's probably even worse if you think about it. He's a piece of shit. Let's talk about him.
0: Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's it's like diving into a pool of shit.
1: Just hold your you nose. Just- you're gonna find little moments of joy in the middle of this despite the bad stuff, I promise.
0: Like he gets shot <laughs>
2: uh, Spoilers
1: <laughs> Alright, first let's acknowledge our main sources. The first is the the biography the Fighting Little Judge by Jeffrey K. Smith, and our second is a really excellent documentary that anybody wants to check it out, they can find it on YouTube. It's called George Wallace, Setting in the Woods on Fire, presented by The American Experience, which was on PBS. That came out, I think, like 20, 21 years ago. It's a really nicely done documentary. It has a lot of uh, direct interviews with people who knew and worked with Wallace. So let's get started. So George Corley Wallace was born in Barber County, Alabama. Down in the southeast of the state, less than a two-hour's drive from Albany, Georgia. Only a year after the end of World War I, so we're talking 1919.
0: Okay, so right around the time we got the vote.
1: Yeah. Women, that is. Women. The little wooden house of his childhood didn't have electricity or running water. The nearby town of Clio didn't have paved streets. He was the oldest child of four, which is important to note because his siblings later become key players in the Wallace, Alabama political machine. George's father was an angry little man who was constantly drinking Coca-Colas and chain smoking, which sounds a little bit like my ex-wife.
0: Is this when Coca-Cola still had cocaine in it?
1: We're in nineteen nineteen, I gotta assume so. Um, I, I don't know. It's before
0: prohibition. But
1: this is this isn't that very early twentieth century thing, so at least maybe right there. A little. Me. A little bit. I don't remember that detail from the last time I went to the Coca-Cola Museum. Yeah, George's father apparently got so pissed off one time he stabbed a friend during an <laughs> argument. Which, you know, at least my which ex
0: Which totally indicates they put the cocaine back in.
1: My ex, who's also a <laughs> For a long time, chain-smoking, constantly Coca-Cola-drinking, person with a temper from Alabama, but did not stab anybody. As far as I know. She liked to throw things. Now, both Wallace parents had a temper that they passed on to their oldest son, and they didn't spare the rod, if you know what I mean. Uh, George Sr. was known to take a leather razor strap to his children's backsides, while the missus preferred the switch. And I don't think you're from an Alabama family if you haven't had to cut the switch you'll be beaten with at least a couple of times. You know in your childhood
0: yeah no I, I we never got a switch i got a I switch have, you you got switched i Back in the very knees. distinctly remember being threatened with switches but never actually gotten beaten with one but i did got to get to hear all of the stories from our cousins so
1: getting switched sucks I mean, that's a very common, southern, old-fashioned... F- that
0: is an Alabama thing. You know you're in trouble when you have to pick your own switch.
1: <laughs> and then, you, yeah, depending, and then you think if you by picking a little thin one, that's going to be okay, and then instead you're just giving yourself those little, those tiny little paper-cut size... Yeah, it sucks. Um,
0: <laughs> we call that abuse now.
1: One of the Wallace brothers, Gerald, put his mother's parenting style in plain words. She whipped the living shit out of us.
0: I've heard that quote before. Yeah.
1: As a young child, George would accompany his grandfather, who was a doctor, on house calls out in the country. This opened him up to not just his own poor upbringing, but gave him a wide view of the kind of suffering poverty inflicts. And for all his many, many faults that we will talk about at length, George Wallace would always consider the needs of the poorest citizens in Alabama when it came to policy. Now, Dr. Grandpa Wallace pushed George to become a pastor, something that he was completely uninterested in but he very much used the style of a, like a revival preacher in his future political ambitions which started when he was 8 years old and was elected president of his 3rd grade class
0: so really he he didn't really give a shit about people not enough to like actually you know help yeah, them a pastor is somebody who at way. least in
1: theory is out to help his community and his congregation where is
0: a politician doesn't yeah. c- even claim to give any fucks
1: and he locked it in like at eight years old he ran for president of his third grade class and won gross yeah he was that kid Ew. and you're gonna hear even more george got a taste of large-scale political machines at age 13 helping his father campaign for franklin delano roosevelt who you might have heard of
0: i love fdr yes
1: little air horns for fdr the wallace family went all in on the on the fdr and the new deal and the populist messaging definitely made a strong impression on the teenage boy now Bambi, i hate to break like normal standard rules that we all agreed to in the 1990s but to maintain my integrity as an amateur podcast comedy historian we have to talk about fight club
0: but the first rule of i know fight but club
1: but we got the history has to be told the,
0: the history of fight club has to be so told.
1: so yes so as a young teenager so this is still when he's like 13 14 years old george and his brothers built a crude boxing ring in their backyard just using materials they found lying around so like just planks and rope uh,
0: fuck me now see george young george wallace is played by a young edward norton in my head which I have no problem seeing Edward Norton as a white supremacist because I mean, I've seen
1: that movie before. A, I think that we've yeah. that's a
0: that's a great movie by the way. It, it's rough. Though... It's harsh.
1: Yeah. So they charge one cent admission for other kids to watch the Wallace boys beat the living shit out of each other. Sometimes drawing dozens standing around or sitting on tree stumps. Uh, at ages 17 and 18, while also serving as quarterback of his high school football team. George Wallace twice won the Alabama Golden Gloves Bantamweight Boxing Championship. Okay. So b- a bantamweight is for a boxers between 115 and 118 pounds. Okay. So, and he was 5'7". So he's like a little-ish little, guy. Little he's a ish sprightly guy, dude. But he was willing to throw down. He was all, and he was in great shape in his younger life. He was very athletic and had an attitude. And in fact, I think that whole persona as a fighter really informed the rest of his life. Like, lots of people avoid confrontation, especially physical kinds. And Wallace was the kind of guy who, like, is all about arguments and totally ready to throw down. He leaned into his image of, like, the scrappy little guy ready to go to war over just about everything.
0: That tracks. From what little I know, that tracks. So this guy was a dick from the beginning. Who really, who he, he, didn't, he didn't want to join the church because he wanted to punch people
1: in the face. Well, he always went to church because that's what you did when you lived what in Powhatan County, Alabama in the early 1900s. But he just didn't want to be a, a pastor. That was not the life he saw for himself. Now, once he was 15 years old, George took an opportunity and scored a spot as a page for the Alabama State Senate. Only four such positions were available. So he campaigned by writing letters to each of the senators and tried to as m- meet as many of them as he could wearing the only suit that he owned. So, you know, 15 years old, fresh faced little George worked his little heart out to get this little spot, and it got him a boarding home and a salary of two entire dollars per day.
2: Mm.
1: As a $2. page, yeah, two dollars.
0: Two whole dollars.
1: Now, as a page, George was exposed to the full political machinery of Alabama state government. So he's meeting and working for some of the most important men in the legislature. He ran errands and learned typing and shorthand and drove the lawmakers around, and it's really easy to imagine his whole future ambitions were born as a scrawny, pimply teenager in Montgomery. So now we get to 1937 when George began college in the fall, forced to hitchhike to get to Tuscaloosa to attend the University of Alabama. Being the broke kid he was, he had to hustle waiting tables in order to afford the tuition of $120 per semester. So he's like working his way through school. He's
0: working his way. How much did you say? A hundred
1: and twenty bucks to go to the biggest university in the state. In Alabama. Yes. Okie dokie. Now on See, one hand that's not a lot but this is also 1937, it's 1937. The, the great depression honey. is kind of in full swing at this point and he's from a poor family in a poor town
0: and yet he could still do that
1: Yeah he got in
0: And yeah he still managed to get in and work his way through college his, and support himself His grades himself. and the power so, the power of being
1: white helped
0: Uh yeah yeah college makes me sad now
1: so but safe to say though he at least wasn't one of these rich kids who coasted through he had to bust his ass to make his way through college to be fair he majored in pre-law back then with just a two-year undergrad degree George was a mediocre student and never accomplished anything in campus politics because his poor status and background kept him out of the fraternities that rule the on-campus political machine at the University of Alabama to this very day.
0: Oh, you mean he didn't like the elitism that was involved with the campus system? Wow. It bothered him. It really bothered him. I'm sure he's going to do something to, like, right some of these, you know, cultural wrongs.
1: When he was... When he was asked about his frat, George identified as a GDI, a goddamn independent.
0: Uh, I feel bad, actually. I'm a goddamn independent.
1: A few noteworthy things from his time at college. George served as captain of the university boxing team and showed continual excellence in the ring. In fact, there's actually a pretty cool picture you can find of one of his, his college boxing days. Of him just like really like laying one into his opponent and blood flying out of the other guy's mouth. It's like a cool boxing sports photo. I mean, Wallace knew how to throw and take a punch. He worked as a ticket taker for football games and got acquainted with folks who would go. Like these, and these are like the important people in the in the area. So like he met up and coming important people while he's sitting there selling tickets.
0: Because even in nineteen nineteen, football was a big ass deal in. College sports.
1: Oh, yeah. So he met, so he just kept ingratiating himself with people who would matter later. And it was during this time that George became friends with a student named Frank Johnson. He's a hardworking young law student with serious ambitions. And he'll come become important later on, but just sort of put a pin in Frank Johnson for a second.
0: I'm sure it's going to be lovely. This, moment, so far, buddies. all this entire story is like a brillo pad against my soul. Which
1: yeah, but a here's the thing: grater. it's like <laughs> right now, there right now, there's nothing that says this guy couldn't go on to be a perfectly fine human being. He's, but
0: I know better.
1: He's working. He's a he's a poor working class guy who's busting his ass, working his way through his college. He's beating the shit out of people in the ring. And, I mean, I'm you know, on board. So far, I'm on board. Of, up and to this point, I'm and on board instead with Instead
0: of using that power for some kind of good, he decided to do, use it for
1: evil. So he met this guy, Frank Johnson, who he's buddies with back in college. He'll pop back up later. This is also the time in which George's father, George Sr., died of typhus. And typhus sucks.
0: Typhus sucks. That guy sucks.
1: Yeah, the angry little chain smoking dude. Who beat them with a razor strap. He died. And
0: again, you know, maybe if you don't beat your kids, they might not grow up to be fucking
1: complete
0: assholes. Yeah. Maybe.
1: So if if you think he had it coming, you know, typhus is rash, fever, nausea, vomiting, cough, severe joint pain, delirium. No one's sad. He's
0: dead. Move alone. He's
1: dead. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Uh, worried about his family George offered to drop out of school and work to help make ends meet but his mother insisted he complete his education and I cannot stress to you how difficult it was for George to work his way through school because he had no family to lean back on he had nothing
0: so if his mom would have just been like yes come home support us he would have just died in obscurity
1: maybe in Alabama but when you hear about everybody else and everything else is going on would he have been better or worse so this is this is the questions to ask yourself as you keep listening cuz it's not like he's the only racist in Alabama in ni- the oh, late no.
0: 1930s. <laughs> oh, I mean there would have been a dozen other George Wallaces. It didn't.
1: And you're going to meet
0: I'm going to I'm you're sure you meet some So I'm sure I know some. But for now I'm sure I know some intimately. But
1: for now like I said I'm trying d- divorcing my brain from the future young still like 1920 year old George Wallace I'm kind of on board with him like i said he's he's scrappy he's got an attitude so far so good and he's working his way through school he used breaks from school as opportunities to earn tuition money for the next year including a trip through kentucky virginia and the carolinas he was selling magazine subscriptions and he got very good at it and here's why so let me give you a rundown of the george wallace sales experience so he's like sleeping in his car on the side of the road at night and then he would walk up to an old farmhouse and begin a tirade of bullshit. Quote, Folks, the federal government has passed a new law that says you got to have reading material. We're here to see what you'd like to pick out. And if the would-be customer pointed out the family Bible, George would counter with, Well, that ain't any good. This new law says you got to have periodicals.
0: Uh, ew. So he was a lion grifter to start with. Oh,
1: yeah. And if the family didn't have any money to spend, George didn't give up. Well, let's, let's see now. Maybe we can work something else out. Uh, reckon you got some chickens or something.
0: Oh, ew, ew.
1: So George usually left home with cash or something he could sell. And meanwhile, some like, Ill- half-illiterate housewife... Is forced is, to
0: have a magazine like, like that she didn't need and couldn't something. afford because George Wallace is an absolute piece of dog and shit. And he's like,
1: either trying to sell a chicken or just cooking it. I'm having
0: of a hard time even being... <laughs> Funny, Which, just because I'm so appalled by this story. On, on
1: one hand, it's bad, but at the same time, <laughs> as a former broke college student myself, it's like I still kind of like him. He's just bullshitting people to sell. I
0: magazines. hate that so much. As someone who actually had a job selling magazines in college, I can tell you I did not keep that job very long because I hate selling things that people
1: don't need. Yeah, it's other than like Fight Club and selling tickets. That's his first, like, big jobs he's using to help get himself through it. And then later on, Alabama passed a law requiring rabies vaccinations for all dogs, so George spent the summer giving dogs shots.
0: No, rabies is bad. Yeah, we don't like rabies. (laughs)
1: Woo-woo! Not a bastard. As being constantly broke and hustling is the running theme of George's early life. So one of his other nicknames he acquired in early political campaigns was the dog doctor, just because he gave dogs rabies vaccinations. But still, that's I, a good thing to do. It's
0: a good thing to do. Dogs. It's better
1: than lying to poor farm housewives about laws that don't exist.
0: I just hate him so much. I hope he got rabies. <laughs> I hope a dog bit him and he got rabies. And, but at, I know you didn't. Discover.
1: At last, George graduated with his law degree in 1942. However, he was forced to drive a dump truck all summer in order to pay his overdue student fees so he could actually get his hands on his diploma. So he's still working his way through school after graduation. And it was during this summer that George fell madly in love. 22 years old, he fell in love with a pretty 16-year-old dime store clerk named Lurleen Burns.
0: Lurleen. That is an Alabama name.
1: Lurleen is... Lurleen. Alabama. And she's about as Alabama as you get. I find Lurleen to be a fascinating character in George's story. And I wish I'd had more time to like learn and had more to talk about, even though this is already a pretty meaty script. But, um...
0: You want to talk about Lurleen?
1: With Lurleen, there's more than meets the eye. Uh, she was a bit of a shy tomboy, but there were early hints that Lurleen was an extraordinary person. And spoiler alert, Lurleen is the future governor of Alabama. Sort of. <laughs> we'll get there in the second One episode. Day. Not, One day. We'll, not we'll, to, we'll get to you, Lurleen. We'll, we'll get to Lurleen's big moment, but that'll be next episode. I for have that a part.
0: feeling I'm just going to start getting more Alabama- as this continues it's gonna happen. We're, we're I, both. I only have two really modes. I have my Bambi voice, which is fine, and this is what it usually sounds like. But if I wanna go real southern, I can go real southern. My people are from Alabama.
1: I, I'm trying off a few slight variations of my uh, You're
0: trying so hard. It's like I'm not gonna be Alabama. Well right I've got now. I've
1: got some Alabama people to quote, so I've got an outlet. You got
0: an outlet for your I'll Alabama. be doing some of my
1: Alabama as we go
0: i do love the name lurleen lurleen that that just she sounds like she has like the fancy lady mullet
1: but at this point lurleen is a 16 year old girl who'd already graduated high school and was working her way through a local business school so she's learning to type and and learning shorthand and just how to be a good secretary at 16 years old George charmed her father and received the man's blessing, and then George and Lurleen started a serious courtship.
0: He asked her daddy's permission.
1: And and once again, to be fair, in the... That in,
0: is how things were done, because again, women at this point were literal property.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is in the early 1940s, and a 22-year-old dating a 16-year-old wasn't quite as obscene yes. then as it seems now. But I still don't a think knight,
0: it's great. At, how, how old? 16. She's 16, uh, he's 22. It's gross, but it could be worse.
1: Yeah, it could be I mean, especially for I nine, mean for
0: the time it's actually pretty that's pretty normal. That's I mean, about the
1: same age difference as our grandparents on the chambers side.
0: Yeah, I mean that's actually for the time period, it's actually a respectable age difference and, and he, not and completely he did, gross. And he
1: did ask her family's permission before he starts dating their daughter at when she is still a literal child. So you And know.
0: they're like, You just go take Lurleen. Yeah. You just take her away, it's fine.
1: Did I mention it was nineteen forty two? some stuff was going on
0: stuff was going on in 1942 yeah like wars and shit
1: george found himself as an aviation cadet in the army air corps which is the precursor to the modern air force which didn't exist back then shortly after arriving to his first duty station he contracted spinal meningitis and nearly died Uh, the infection gave him minor paralysis and permanent nerve damage not the last time you'd hear those two <laughs> words from a doctor.
0: Uh, yeah. So, um, well, with the exception of the getting married to a child bride, I mean, I'm glad something bad happened to him. Yay for spinal meningitis!
1: No, he's not married yet. <laughs> he's but this when he started. He's, he's dating, just
0: marrying. He's dating this dating chick. a child. Although in 1940s, you know, that means they're like holding hands and going to the soda shop.
1: It's hard to say because Wallace was not the most, you know, it's not like he's a sexually pure dude as we'll find out later on. So because of the damage from the meningitis, his hopes of serving as a pilot were forever dashed against the rocks.
0: So he couldn't go die in World War
1: II? Oh, no, he could still go die in World War II. He just can't fly the plane. Oh. Uh, So... With George's political ambitions so thoroughly established, even his choices to serve in the Army were motivated by his future determination to become the governor. So he decided to become an enlisted flight engineer, even though he qualified to attend officer candidate school. He later claimed, I sense that if I got back to Alabama and into politics, there would be far more GIs among the electorate than officers. So he was literally thinking, you know, everybody hates officers. There'll be way more enlisted dudes and they'll vote for one of their own rather than... An officer, so he chose his his job and his his role in the army based for, on thinking on about thinking about his political ideas for future. It's like since he was a teenager, he was like he told people back when he was a page at fifteen years old in the state senate that one day he was going to return him to Montgomery as governor.
0: Turn and I'm gonna be governor. So gross.
1: After surviving the god-awful meningitis, George took advantage of a 30-day medical furlough to get back to Alabama and see Lurleen. He'd already almost died on base and he was about to go fly on combat missions over Japan. So on May 22, 1943, the young couple headed to the Justice of the Peace with a handwritten waiver from Lurleen's mother for the teenage girl to get married. George paid the J of the P one entire dollar for the privilege. Their reception was a quick lunch before a bus ride to Montgomery, where Lurleen met her mother-in-law for the very first time. The couple spent their wedding night in a barely furnished boarding house with a naked light bulb dangling from the ceiling.
0: Everyone has to have dreams.
1: Romance. Alabama romance.
0: Alabama romance. Go out into the woods and thug.
1: Let's get back to the war. (laughs) Despite his lifelong battle with anxiety, George acquitted himself well on missions but the whole time he was overseas, he dreamed of future power in Alabama politics. With free postage offered to everyone in the armed service, George sent dozens of Christmas cards to the people in his home county with the incredibly personal note, Merry Christmas, your friend George Wallace. On base, George never shut the fuck up about his dreams and plans, declaring to everyone who would listen that he would one day be governor of Alabama.
0: Uh, I It's just so gross. I can't even get past it. I can't get past how gross the story is. He's
1: very focused.
0: He is so focused. And again, the only one who's like, and he dreams of power. That's called a supervillain.
1: Yeah, red flag. They're
0: usually found in comic books.
1: When you're a little kid thinking, I need to be in charge of all this.
0: I need more power. Who thinks of that?
1: All these people should be listening to me right now. It's a super healthy thing for a kid to be thinking. And I have children older than he is at this point in the story, so I can still call him a kid. Even though he's technically a grown-ass man. Uh,
0: technically by 1940 standards. Yes. Uh, Although if he's getting flying into war and being shot, I mean, that makes you a grown-ass man real fast.
1: Oh, yeah. And he did. He, f- he flew numerous combat missions, firebombing the ever-loving shit out of Tokyo. And finally, Wallace returned back to the United States just in time for the world's first nuclear weapons to be dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki
0: fun not war crimes at all
1: now and the other thing too honestly and this is one of those things i really learned uh in my college education setting is like one thing people don't seem to realize is that even though then the uh the dropping of the atomic bombs were absolutely war crimes but they weren't any worse than what we were doing like in the firebombing raids on like tokyo and some of these other cities it's just that it used to take hundreds of planes and and thousands of bombs to accomplish what one bomb could it was just a matter of efficiency uh yeah that's another nightmare to talk about oh uh, yeah for... i'm
0: gonna open up another white claw i'm so very very excited Maybe
1: We are not help. sponsored by white claw but we will take their money ah
0: uh, please if there was anyone if there is anyone who should be my sponsor of life it should probably be white claw's Because this is about as basic as I go.
1: Yes, an (laughs) off-brand white clause. We're ready to take your money, too. All right, so the war was over, but George clearly suffered from some form of PTSD and became a nervous wreck after the war was over because he was still instructed to continue doing training flights.
0: It was not PTSD. This was World War II. You got to call it shell shell shock. shock. Yeah. Because where men were men and bombed children
1: well george instead was so convinced that he survived the entire war and was going to be killed in some peacetime accident he refused direct orders to go on these training flights okay he later
0: he wasn't scared of war but he was scared of training yes all right
1: again shell shock for ptsd i mean he already had like he had anxiety his whole life this is something that defines I mean, him. I I I feel that. He I has a, he's played. a major like like sort of you can see maybe even like a manic depressive kind of personality. I mean I I can't obviously diagnose him with anything but you can see these episodes where his anxiety takes over, where he gets depressed, but also where he has this like boundless energy at other times.
0: Is that why he starts like taking out things on black people?
1: No, he does that for much shittier reasons. He you'll does see that for
0: even shittier reasons. No, you'll
1: you'll see. And like I said, this is why I think he's actually worse than a normal racist.
0: He's he. You're like he's interesting and also more yeah, terrible and, and
1: probably worse. Um. So George said, as in reference to refusing direct orders call it anxiety come to the surface call it what you will i decided i was through with flying okay so since he wouldn't follow direct orders he was sent to the base hospital and diagnosed with a severe anxiety state george would remain a nervous flyer for the rest of his life and he received an honorable discharge on december 8th 1945 including a 10 percent service-connected disability and received 20 dollars per month in veterans benefits well, it's better than the two dollars. Yeah,
0: it? <laughs> I mean it's better than the two dollars, and you know. However. Twenty dollars worth of veterans benefits, and that's nineteen forty-five. This is forty-five. Nineteen forty-five money, so that's not terrible.
1: It's just get like getting a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. A month.
0: It, Yeah, I mean, like, it'll get you by, but not fabulous. not great.
1: Oh, and also, in a combination from the meningitis and flying those really loud-ass bomber missions, his hearing continued to get worse throughout his entire life.
0: (laughs) So he was an old deaf racist later. Fun fun.
1: Now, George wasted no time in getting the life he'd planned started. After a year-long stint as an assistant attorney general, George moved his family back to Barber County so he could begin his true lifelong career, politics. There he ran his first
0: lifelong career of being evilly in charge.
1: So from The Fighting Little Judge by Jeffrey K. Smith, quote, George C. essentially abandoned his wife and baby, spending every available hour visiting churches, schools, farms, mills, and town squares, pumping hands and making promises. Many county residents remembered Wallace from the Christmas cards he mailed to them during the height of World War II. When he could not borrow a car, Wallace would walk five to six miles at a clip, hitchhiking as he went along, determined to shake hands and make his name known to as many Barber County voters as possible. On election day, George C. won 56% of the vote, and he was on his way to the Alabama legislature and the beginning of a memorable political career.
0: Because nothing says networking like baby Jesus.
1: Yep, so George won his first. He's now a member of the Alabama state legislature. Now, early on in his time in the house, George made a powerful friend. In fact, literally the biggest man in Alabama politics. The governor, James E. Big Jim Folsom.
0: There are so many things in Alabama that have the name Big Jim on them, by now, the way.
1: I personally <laughs> fell a little bit in love with Big Jim in the course of this story. And in fact... There's a documentary I think that's free on Amazon. I want to watch. Maybe we'll do that for a bonus episode. I kind of, I kind of like Jim, Big Jim. You like Big Jim?
0: Yeah. I know nothing about Big Jim except for like lots and lots and lots of things are named Big Jim in Alabama.
1: Well, Big, Big Jim, Jim's
0: this. Big Jim's that. Big J-I-M. Jim.
1: He was not one of those ironically named little guys. Big Jim was six foot eight, 275 pounds of loud, surprisingly liberal populism. B- big Jim went after the big money in Alabama and fought for the interests of working class people. He had openly Jewish friends in the mid-1940s and made sure to personally shake the hands of African-Americans and any crowd of supporters before the event even went on to make it clear where he stood. That they were welcome and that he was going to be fighting okay. for them as well. So
0: Alright, so I can get behind Big we're, Jim. We're
1: behind Big Jim, 100%.
0: And, again, Big Jim could be used as a giant human shield if necessary. Yeah, it, it, so there's, there's... several people you behind tr- You could truly get behind Big Jim.
1: And, more importantly than just shaking hands, he tried to convince the Alabama legislature to abolish the poll tax, which kept poor people, mostly black, black. from voting.
0: Yeah, poll taxes are terrible. Yeah. And glad they don't exist. And,
1: yeah, Big Jim was all against the poll taxes. Uh, despite his efforts, Big Jim was a he- was ahead of his time and found too much resistance to his efforts to increase the ranks of registered black voters obviously wallace did not follow, follow big jim's progressive lead on racial issues but neither was he a violent racist he was more of a polite separate but equal seg- segregationist and that's not great but at the time for alabama that was kind of strictly that middle, was, that was that middle was, of the road that was pretty all right that's for like moderate. Alabama. yeah i mean it was one of those things where it's like well you know a racist of the average racist in alabama at the time would be like well, you're not supposed He's to. He's like, I'll those. release
0: dogs on you, but they won't be rabid dogs. It's
1: like, you know, those people should be treated fair and well over there. They're just not allowed to, you know, use my water fountain. That was kind of the what they considered a moderate view in Alabama in the 1940s. It sucks, but it means that he didn't stand out. In fact, he was kind of like, like I said, a middle of the road. But these differences in opinion did not prevent George from following his mentor's populist lead. And because his proposals benefited poor people, most black residents of Alabama were included. So George introduced a bill for a 2% sales tax on liquor to fund post-secondary trade schools. This bill passed and led to the creation of five of the schools, three for the white students and two for their black counterparts. Okay. Wallace wrote legislation that provided free college tuition to widows and orphans of Alabamians killed during the war, also providing additional benefits to soldiers and their dependents who suffered disabilities.
0: Which are good things?
1: These are all good things. Over the coming decades, the law enabled more than 30,000 people to receive a secondary education. 10,000 of those people were black.
0: Okay. So, good things. Yay.
1: George even sat on the board of trustees for Alabama's best-known black college at the time. And it wasn't by accident. Ac- <laughs> according to I'm Smith- sure it
0: wasn't, because everything's about politics.
1: You are correct. <laughs> according to Smith's book, quote, The ambitious young lawmaker was certain that the large African-American population of Alabama would one day win the right to vote. When that happened, Wallace wanted to be a recognizable figure to the expanded constituency. So in other words, yes, it was all about politics.
0: All about politics. No, he was like, how can I get more power?
1: And while we look back on his racist remarks that sound a lot like the talking points of the modern right wing, his populist policy proposals made his colleagues think of him in the exact opposite terms. One political pundit declared at the time, quote, he was a leading liberal in the legislature, no doubt about it. He was regarded as a dangerous left winger. A lot oh, of people, ew. a lot of people even looked on him as an outright pinko. Ew.
0: So literally... He's con- Ew. They considered Wallace. They a- considered Wallace a liberal. That's how shit the world was. Well, that's
1: the thing. He was, except for the racial. thing. Except for he just he,
0: didn't like black people. Like everything totally else, like liberal. except
1: for the racial elements of his stuff, like all of his actual policies are the kinds of stuff we're talking about to this day: higher wages for working people, good, you know, union protections, and it's it's so it's like it's like
0: he just didn't like women or black people. He was fine with poor people as long as you weren't what and women even and black. then.
1: Again, you'll have to keep seeing it. At the moment, he's not even against. He's black, not even he,
0: against. He's not even against women or black people. He's, he's just, just not for them. He, yeah, <laughs> he's
1: not for them. He's just at the moment he's just coasting on everything's fine, and I'm going to focus on helping these th- these groups of people. So, and like I said, you know, some of his co- colleagues thought he was practically a communist.
0: Oh, so gross.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> but being a, a mere member of the legislature was not enough for George Wallace. So he decided to run for judge in Alabama's 3rd Judicial District. Once again, ignoring Lurleen and their now three children to go campaigning.
0: That tracks.
1: She was an unhappy wife, but she supported her husband anyway, and with a borrowed typewriter, sent out countless letters to possible supporters in any case.
0: So she was a good politician's wife. Yes. Sure. As they all were.
1: In fact, maybe the most supportive politician's wife of all time. When, when we get all the way through part two, you'll see what I mean. Uh, regardless of her husband's behavior, Lurleen stayed loyal until the day she died. And another spoiler alert, Lurleen dies young.
0: Oh. Poor Lurleen. So she was a neglected politician's wife. Who who was constantly cheated on. Who was constantly cheated on, raised their babies, and then was expected to literally hold everything together. Including the political careers. Because guess what? That's what they all did. And you have
1: no idea yet what she's willing to do for this man. We'll get there.
0: Poor Lurleen. Poor, Poor, poor.
1: absolutely poor Lurleen. Out of everyone in this story, Lurleen is the one I feel the most sorry for.
0: I would call her a maligned woman, but that's redundant.
1: However, I think you'll also find, and like I said, this is all, we're jumping into what's going to be in part two, but Lurleen also has kind of a shining moment. So she's a little bit of a feminist icon in her own weird way, maybe. Or or not. Or not. Depending on how you look at it. Depending
0: on how you look. Well, you know what? It's like, well, any kind of feminist fuse in the 1940s is going to be so
1: it's going to be the question i guess can hang over before next episode will be like if if she does something that demonstrates female power but she only does it in service of a man that's so how do you feel about it and so that's how you'll that is something to ponder next time
0: well you know just because i'm obsessed with eleanor roosevelt you know she was not for um for suffrage FDR was. Her husband was for suffrage, but she actually for a very long time kept the views that the woman belongs in the house and she carried no opinion on voting because women, she didn't have time to think about that because she was raising her children. It wasn't until her kids were a little bit older and she got a little bit more breathing room and she realized that her husband was a lying, cheating piece of shit, as they all were. So fun side story. Let's go back to Lurlane. Poor Lurlane. Lurleen. Lane. So Lur she
1: Lurlene helped George and it was another successful campaign run by this up-and-coming political rock star. So now we got Judge George Wallace. Rose. Now you might be surprised to learn about George's reputation in the courtroom as being both thorough and fair, unusually kind for the time to poor and black people.
0: Okay, well that's good.
1: One African American attorney praised the judge, quote Your Honor, I have practiced in many courts, but I have never been treated more fairly by a judge, by the jurors, by the officers of the court, than I have here.
0: Okay, so that's like, he did one good thing?
1: Yeah. I guess,
0: two. if you talk, he he was also a soldier in World War II, which was also a good thing. Yeah. Because, you know.
1: Now, anyway, we're back here. Uh, George is is actually being courteous to uh, black attorneys and defendants in his courtroom. Now judge wallace supported segregation as the best way forward for race relations but he had a zero tolerance policy for racism inside his courtroom he enforced respect from white attorneys to their black opposition and shared meals with black counsel who were not allowed in many local restaurants so he would just eat lunch with the, the black attorneys since they weren't allowed places so again he's showing these people a lot more respect than other people in fact uh, this one interview I saw of this black attorney who served under Judge Wallace's courtroom even said this was the first attorney who forced the the white op- opposing attorneys to call them by name, and if they didn't, if they tried to call him boy or something, Judge Wallace was like no, you address him as Mister so and so or whatever. He he demanded, you know, that some level. kind of
0: courtesy and respect. Yeah. So there's that. So
1: the the people who were in his he had a reputation for being fair and very you know like I said moderate and and genuinely kind to black people in his courtroom. Now, George continued to think about future politics, constantly keeping an eye out for news and any You spare don't
0: th- say he was keeping an eye out for politics? Yes.
1: And he used any spare time he had to ingratiate himself with potential future voters. He also saw a problem with his one-time mentor, Big Jim Folsom.
0: Big Jim.
1: Now, Big Jim's progressive views on race did not align with the majority of white voters in Alabama, you and unfortunately, Big Jim did have a major character flaw, which was that he was a total drunk. Big Jim liked to drink.
0: Oh, that's so tracks with 40s Alabama! Know, right? And, you know, still, you know, Prohibition and, he, and And like
1: I said, Big Jim's one of the cool guys. He's cool with, with people from different backgrounds and races. And He's to, cool,
0: which is why he probably didn't like Prohibition, which is probably also why he's an alcoholic.
1: Yep. And unfortunately, the last straw for a lot of Alabamians came... Uh, when a black New York congressman was invited to stay in the governor's mansion. It sparked so much controversy that George Wallace decided to take that moment to make a public break with Big Jim. In private, he said, Well, Big Jim's always been weak on the N-word issue.
0: Eh. Go, Big Jim.
1: And when the governor heard about this, Big Jim gave George the benefit of the doubt. He ain't no race bigot. Me and George is close. George ain't nothing but a populist himself. Now, I think Big Jim was right. But also, right in the f- fact that George would shift which whatever way the wind blew, he did, he was totally willing to court future black voters, but also willing to capitalize on white racism to win elections.
0: Because he was a politician, not an idealist. Yep.
1: Yeah. And he figured this was something. This is something that gets worse before it gets better. George began prepping for his first race for governor a full two years before it was actually time to run assembling a powerful political team that stayed with him for decades and formally announced his run for governor in January of 1958. Uh, Since Republicans were rare and completely doomed in Alabama in the 1950s, it was all about scoring the Democratic Party nomination. So if any Republican likes to say, we're we're the party of Lincoln, yeah, that's also why a Republican couldn't get elected back then because the Democrats were the racist party of the time and why Big Jim there kind of stuck out as a Democrat who actually... Yeah, well, history says
0: that Republicans were one way until they decided that it couldn't get them votes, so they turned a different way. It
1: took President Johnson to change everything around, and he comes up later in the story. Fun. But we're not there yet. We're still. Another not, dick? We're still in late in the 1950s. Another dick named Johnson.
0: It's like, if we keep talking about all these dicks, we're just going to. I mean, we really, it's after this we episode. We could do a whole
1: episode on Johnson. We should dick.
0: not do any more guys named george for a while it's like that's george this is this is what we talk about in, in in chainsaw history well we're gonna talk to you about a historical figure named george a bunch of guys named george we got a whole shitload of
1: them so uh getting back to it he so we're all he's really worried about is scoring the democratic party nomination once you got that unlocked lockdown you've got you've got the state Now, the details of the election are interesting. We don't have enough time to really get into it. But the main thing to know is that George's primary opponent was a guy named John Patterson. He was the Attorney General of Alabama running for governor. He was also the son of an Attorney General who had been assassinated while combating organized crime in Phoenix City, Alabama. Fun! It was a literal movie made about this father and son tale.
0: We got some Alabama gangsters.
1: So we got, so we got, an, we got an older Alabama attorney general who went after organized crime, got killed, and now his son's gonna gonna.
0: He's gonna rise up like the phoenix and defend racist democracy.
1: Patterson was seen as a law and order hero to most people, and also as a strict segregationist to the delight of all the of, racists.
0: Of course, of course, he was.
1: As Attorney General, Patterson had obtained a court order banning the NAACP from organizing within the state, calling it an insurrectionist movement. Tell oh, yeah. me if that doesn't sound familiar. Oh yeah,
0: this this all tracks just just well. I mean, we're we're still a uh, so yeah, cool.
1: You take a black civil so rights organization. So we're still doing this. Yeah, you take a black civil rights organization and you accuse them of being terrorists or or insurrectionists and. Meanwhile, ignoring the white people who literally invaded the Capitol. That's how we do things. That's
0: how we do things here. It's fine. Everything's fine. Look over here. Panic! Exactly.
1: Now, of course, Patterson threw out plenty of racist dog whistles while attacking Wallace, saying he went too easy on black defendants in court and that his fair treatment policies went against the principles of segregated life in Alabama. And remember, George wasn't some racial progressive. He was just a moderate. He showed people, like, the bare minimum of respect. Which didn't jive with the culture of his home state.
0: No, because he was supposed to be sicking rabid dogs on these people, not giving the dogs shots and giving black people a different kind
1: of shot. Nope. For for at the moment, George is not for sicking dogs on people, but don't well, don't we'll worry, get we'll there. get there. We'll get there. <laughs> That's coming up. But later. they're
0: not rabid because he gave them rabies shots.
1: Exactly. He took care of that shit. George bitched and moaned as he got trounced in this election. His complaining shows off his sociopathic selfish outlook.
0: So what you're telling me is George Wallace, who is historically one of the shittiest people in all of Alabama, is actually, it could have been worse.
1: This guy, I mean, Patterson Because this guy
0: was worse. It's like if he would have just been governor and been like, hey, we could all be a little less if, racist. If George
1: had gotten elected in this election. He
0: probably would have been like, we could be a little more moderate. We could be a little less racist. But no, Alabama was like, we are digging into this motherfucker.
1: Exactly. So in this case, the problem isn't George. The problem is the, st- the population of Alabama. <laughs> the, po- or at least the, the
0: problem the w- is Alabama. Or at
1: least the ones who are allowed to vote right now.
0: Well, I'm gonna go with um it it hasn't changed a whole lotty lot.
1: So here's a quote about George bitching about having to run against Patterson at this time. I'm running against a man whose father was assassinated. How am I supposed to follow an act like that? <laughs> so it's like he literally Spoiler like, Man, I wish my father had been gunned down by the mob instead of dying of typhus.
0: That asshole. He just he, did, he just died. He didn't Stab even people, he didn't even die for a cause. Drank he a just,
1: bunch of Coca-Cola and shit himself to death.
0: <sighs>
1: oh, well. It's also probably worth noting that Patterson enjoyed the full public support from the Ku Klux Klan, while Wallace actually condemned them. So Wallace is anti-Klan at this point, and okay, Patterson... so
0: at this point where he's... Uh, Alright, let's keep going.
1: Patterson didn't publicly he didn't publicly talk about how great his KKK endorsement was but he did say this and tell me if this line sounds at least a little bit familiar they, the KKK include many fine, peace-loving individuals who merely want to preserve the white, southern way of life ew many fine people on both sides many
0: fine people on both sides god,
1: nothing is ever like I said, the one lesson of history. We're going to
0: have to take five so I can go throw up in that bucket.
1: We don't learn shit.
0: We don't know. Well, if, if history has taught us anything, it's that we do not learn from a history.
1: Goddamn thing. In stark contrast, Wallace gained the endorsement of the NAACP. So that's something you probably didn't that's expect. That's a
0: regret that the NAACP has probably carried with them for quite some time.
1: That might as well have been the nail in his coffin, though. George lost the election by tens of thousands of votes.
0: They were like, fuck black people.
1: And Patterson made the reason for his election victory quite clear. Primary reason I beat him was he was considered soft on the race question.
0: Ew!
1: Yeah, no, Patterson (laughs) sucked.
0: Patterson sucks. I wish somebody would shoot him, too.
1: George conceded gracefully in public and took personal responsibility for the loss to his campaign staff. And he took one big lesson away from the race, agreeing with Patterson. Now, I'm not going to say it, so here's a clip. So this includes a quote, a word that I would normally censor out, but I think it's important to hear the way this man talked and thought and how it truly informs our understanding of just how cynical American politics truly is. So listeners can skip ahead past this short quote if they don't want to hear the N-word.
2: George Wallace came back to the district after the defeat, back to our county, and he asked me would I come over to his office and talk with him. So I did, and he said, Seymour, you know why I lost that governor's race? I said, I'm not sure, uh, Judge. What do you think? He said, Seymour, I was out by John Patterson, and I'll tell you here and now, I will never be out niggered again.
1: This Ew, is
0: it tracks, but it's gross. Like,
1: this is the moment of his like evil villain origin story where he's like.
0: And this is when he was like, I turned into grog. I
1: wasn't racist enough. I
0: wasn't racist enough for Alabama.
1: <laughs> so so this like just makes him decide. This is this is my guiding star now, at least for a while. It has nothing to do with how he really feels. It's just about he got his ass kicked and he decided this is the lesson.
0: Because, again, he doesn't actually have any idealism. He's just about himself in power.
1: No, not to... So let's bring up... Let's bring up the musical Is that Come
0: worse? Up. I don't know if that's better or worse.
1: Let's bring up the musical Hamilton again. Ooh, remember the remember Hamilton. how Hamilton was forced to, to whether he was going to endorse Jefferson or Aaron Burr, and finally he was like, I disagreed with, Aaron, with Jefferson over everything. Everything but, but. But I endorse him anyway because he stands for something. something. And Aaron Burr doesn't believe in anything. I think Wallace was the Aaron Burr kind of guy, where it wasn't about him being horribly racist. It was about him being so ambitious and so amoral that he didn't give a shit who he hurt. He was willing to help black people when he thought that was the way to go, but he's just as willing to hurt them if that gets him the power he wants. Which, again, is worse to me. That's (laughs) worse. To me, it's so much worse.
0: Is it better or is it worse? Not that racists are
1: great, but at least you know where they stand. Anyway, we were talking about how, uh, essentially, Wallace didn't believe in anything, and now he's, he's decided to double down on racism.
0: Because, yeah, what else do you do? Because apparently black people, they he figured out they weren't allowed to vote.
1: Yeah, and he already planted the seeds, like, just in case. He'd already done some in ca- things. You know
0: what? He could have just made, he could have changed laws. He could have been, secured like. secured the right for the black vote, and he would have won.
1: Yeah. It's just he didn't care he didn't care he wanted to take the path of least resistance he didn't want to make change he just wanted power he was nakedly ambitious and with that in mind this will come as a huge shock to you but after getting his ass kicked in the alabama gubernatorial race he immediately began planning his political comeback he looked around for an issue to make headlines with and again this isn't going to sound familiar at all ew So at this time, we're talking 1958, the United States Civil Rights Commission saw some really shady shit going down in Alabama and suspected the state of massive voter disenfranchisement.
0: You don't say!
1: Voter disenfranchisement in 1958, Alabama? Say it ain't so.
0: There's no Jim Crow laws here.
1: So the feds wanted to inspect the voting records. Wallace, as a state judge now in a lame duck session, refused to hand over the records in Barber and Bullock counties, citing, what else, States' rights.
0: That's not how states' rights work.
1: Always the follow-up question: States' rights to do what? To do
0: what? There's that's <laughs> not a thing.
1: So earlier, you might remember that George was buddies back in college with a law student named Frank Johnson. We put a pin in Frank. This is where and now he's, we're back to Frank. This is where Frank strolls back in into this story. This time is a newly appointed federal judge, and he was not amused at all by George's bullshit.
0: Good threatening him,
1: threatening to toss Wallace's ass in jail for contempt for not turning over the voting records yeah
0: because you got to do that
1: so there George was. so George drove out to Montgomery in an attempt to charm his old friend suggesting Johnson give George the citation but only some little minor penalty that way George could gain the political w he needed but the feds would still get the records and everybody is happy but it didn't go the way he wanted good after the meeting George. Get
0: him, Frank get him
1: After the meeting, George reported, he told me I'd be wasting my time running for governor four years from now because I'd still be in prison. (laughs) So Frank's awesome. We like Frank.
0: Yay! We like Frank, we like Big Jim. Everyone else, not so much so far. Maybe Lurleen.
1: Wallace did what would become his defining political move. He lost, but loudly claimed victory anyway.
0: Oh, you don't say. So
1: here, so on a technicality, what he did was he turned over the voting records to grand juries that worked under him and had them turn it over so he could still go on TV and, and still state truthfully that he didn't hand it over. He fought the, the federal government. He fought them. So he denounced the forceful intervention of the federal government and the, into the sovereign affairs of the state of Alabama. Now, Frank Johnson continued to be a thorn in Wallace's side, or vi- or vice versa, depending on how you look at it. And George no longer carried any warm and fuzzy feelings about his old college buddy. He's a no-good, goddamn-lying, son-of-a-bitchin', race-mixin' bastard.
0: Ooh, he's a race mixer.
1: I know, right? Ew.
2: <laughs>
1: Wallace finished up his judicial term and moved to Montgomery to join his brother's law practice and plan his next big political campaign. Hooray! Lurleen stayed with him despite their many marital problems, mostly because George was constantly gone and almost as constantly cheating, how many and,
0: kids does she have at this point?
1: I believe we're at four.
0: Four. Yep, because she's a human Pez dispenser. Lurleen is nothing for... She's not good for anything. And at the, and at the time, her only babies.
1: jobs are housewife and and, babies. and assistant to his campaigns. Because he's yeah, constantly... Because he
0: needs a secretary. Yeah, That's that, why she took all those classes.
1: Exactly. Continued to work she as was a consistent.
0: useful. She was a useful human Pez
1: dispenser. Uh, she's incredibly loyal wife if you
0: look at any of these successful politicians not good goddamn one of them could have done anything without their wives i mean there was the grassroots all of that shit underneath it was done by their wives whether they wanted to or not whether they believed in them or not or even whether they liked them or not
1: and honestly I, and as you'll see as we get into part two, there's nothing. I don't know than that there's any <laughs> stronger version of that story than this one Ew. when we get there. Like, Lurleen goes as hardcore into supporting oh, her political... Oh, Lurleen,
0: you should have just stayed home having your babies. Ugh. Okay.
1: So, mostly You should have
0: used your uterus powers for good instead you know, of evil.
1: Leaving Lurleen behind, he traveled all over the state giving speeches in the poorest sections of Alabama appealing to the working class by talking shit about the wealthy, which that part I'm totally cool with. Fuck the wealthy. So unfortunately, this is being a podcast about George Wallace. We can't really give the attention or coverage that the civil rights movement of this era deserves. So let's just say that a bunch of important uh, events happen in Alabama during this period where George is preparing his next political campaign. Civil rights protests erupt into violence more than once with local cops in full cooperation with violent racist mobs.
0: There is a reason why uh, the Civil Rights Movement picked Alabama.
1: Yeah. So, like, for example, May 14th, 1961, there was a group called the Freedom Riders. These were, like, an integrated bus ride from, from, uh, in this case, they were going to Anniston, Alabama. They stop, and they were uh, immediately assaulted by a, a white angry mob and the cops just stayed behind and had like a timer and waited like 10 15 minutes before they'd rush in and actually help the protesters and the protesters got the shit kicked out of them that happened the same thing happened only days later in birmingham so like v- violence low, is erupting. Violence is already starting it's not hardcore violence yet it's just small skirmishes but it's just like the appetizer for what's going to be happening later in the it's 60s a,
0: well i mean it's a pot it's just boiling it doesn't pressure it, it has cooker at to, this yeah. point
1: So, Wallace looked at the state of affairs and correctly realized that long-term, segregation was doomed. But he also knew that white panic was now kind of at an all-time high, and it could propel him straight into the governor's mansion.
0: Oh, white panic. My favorite, favorite subject.
1: So, he leaned into the racism. Of course he did. As soon as 1962 began, so did George Wallace. Since at the time, Alabama did not allow a governor to serve any consecutive terms, George did not have to face Patterson a second time. Instead, his main opponent was his one-time former mentor, Big Jim Folsom.
0: Go Big Jim! He's going to defeat Big Jim and it's going to make me sad. Go
1: ahead. And at first, things were not going well for George. George always suffered with anxiety and depression, like we've already said. But this time it got so bad, his campaign staff had to secretly hospitalize him. Like literally put him in a disguise and snuck him into the hospital because he was so fucked up. And nobody was sure. They were thinking that the campaign might have to be canceled because he was just a fucking wreck. And he wasn't looking like he was going to get out of bed anytime soon. But one day an aide... If only. One day, an aide came in and dumped a sack of campaign contributions onto the hospital bed.
0: He should have put a pillow over his face.
1: No, instead he put twenty thousand dollars of cash on in his lap. Uh,
0: so he got a he got a cash infusion yeah. while in the hospital. Twenty thousand dollars
1: in 1962 money on his hospital bed.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: George perked right back up and I'm was sure. making televised speeches the very next day. Yeah, it's amazing sure what twenty grand miraculously
0: ago. cured. You know. If anyone wants to volunteer it, $20,000 would also cure my depression. Anyone who wants to volunteer
1: that. The Wallace campaign was all about states' rights and segregation, which ultimately meant the same thing in 1962 Alabama. (laughs) Wallace attacked the federal government and liberal judges, such as his ex friend Frank Johnson, who he kindly called integrating, coppet bagging, scallywagging, race mixing, bald faced liar. Oh. He loved to go on these, like, Tirades. Big
0: long tirades of calling people wrong names like carpetbagger
1: and scallywag. My... Another one, scallywag.
0: Scallywag. That is that is very southern.
1: That's very southern. It's a very specific southern carpetbagger
0: is very specifically southern. Mm-hmm. Although it's like we we didn't hear carpetbagger growing up because we you know
1: I we're heard, not that old. I heard a some, little bit. I'd hear carpetbagger once in A small, little bit, but
0: mostly it was just damn Yankees.
1: Damn Yankees. George showed off his kids and loyal wife on the trail while constantly screwing campaign aides behind Lurleen's back. He got polite applause for talking about building highways and schools, but received standing ovations when speaking out against racial integration. And with racism clearly being the winning strategy, his campaign quietly hired a speechwriter named Asa Carter. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Asa Carter. He, he's a guy who'd get his own episode. He's a fascinating guy. At the moment, he is a powerful leader with his own segment of the Alabama KKK.
0: Oh, yay.
1: He, like, for example, he wrote the speech in which we started this episode with, with the segregation now, segregation forever thing.
0: He wrote wrote that racist ass.
1: But interestingly enough, later on in his career, Ace Carter starts writing under the name Forrest Carter, and again forest naming after the nathan bedford Forrest, the founder of the kkk but he wrote under forrest carter and wrote a couple of very successful novels so writing under the name forrest carter ace carter wrote the rebel outlaw josie wales later and in made into a movie by clint eastwood also wrote the education of little tree
0: okay i have at least heard of both these movies i've probably seen both of them but
1: he wrote the book version as young and under Forrest Carter, he also claimed to be, uh, like, part Cherokee Indian, which was a total lie. Which is total bullshit. He was a white supremacist. He was literally the leader of, the, of a KKK chapter. And he was became kind of like the head speechwriter for George Wallace at this time without anybody knowing about it. So in 1962, Alabama radios played a political jingle. I don't know what it sounds like, but it, the words were, Vote right, vote white, vote for the fighting judge.
0: I'm gonna just die over here for a minute
1: and remember everything sucks that our relative who was said no i claimed to I, I be a keep, supporter during this time I, as I, a young person i
0: understand
1: said that they didn't Ooh. know george wallace was racist which is a lie vote right vote white
0: yeah um
1: god yeah. is angry at this political jingle see
0: again even even god it was just like you know what
1: this is a terrible story which is why we better try to get through these last couple pages Wait. before it pours down rain. Sadly, Big Jim could not get past his alcoholism for the campaign and was what? so mm. obviously and embarrassingly drunk on the day of the Alabama primary, which, remember, was the only election that mattered at the time, he couldn't tell two of his daughters apart. Oh, like, poor Like, on stage, Jim. in front of everybody.
0: But,
1: He's like, which one are you again?
0: What? <laughs> that, that's...
1: That's not great.
0: That's not great. I mean, from someone who has seen their father drunk more than once, he always knew who I was. I now, had a good daddy, though. I rest w- in peace.
1: Rumors fell, flew around that Walt, the Wallace campaign spiked Jim's punch.
0: Ew. We don't know if that's
1: true, but if it is, it's so awful. That's <laughs> like a like a known alcoholic, and they just went for it. But that we don't know if that happened. That's just the rumor.
0: Well, you know what. Fucking! But
1: it sounds like the kind of dirty trick. It sounds like do. the
0: kind of dirty shit. Uh, you know, it's when like, you're
1: when you're willing to secretly have your head speechwriter be the head of the KKK, then yeah, you're willing to spike somebody's drink. That's not something. I don't know that it happened, but I 100 believe they would have done it if they could have done it.
0: Yeah. No. I'm. You know what? I'm gonna go all go all in for Big Jim. Fuck those guys.
1: Yeah, Big Jim. They totally
0: fucking sandbagged Big Jim
1: big jim deserved better
0: big jim did deserve better maybe he just couldn't see his daughters because you know he got roofied and shit
1: so one way or another uh it big jim went down and it came down to a runoff election between wallace and a more polished intellectual candidate who george just smashed and kicked his ass and he rode racist populism as the correct formula straight into becoming the governor-elect
0: of course
1: George Wallace spoke out against the Kennedy family, against Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., against the federal government and liberals. He won the general election in a landslide. Now remember, the Republicans didn't even field a candidate against him, and yet he still won the largest popular vote victory in the history of the state of Alabama, despite him not even needing it to win.
0: I hate you, Alabama.
1: Yeah. On a cold January morning in 1963... George Wallace achieved the goal he'd first declared as a dirt-poor kid in rural Alabama. He was sworn in as governor.
0: I achieved power! <laughs> as his evil, racist laugh.
1: This was his, like, one of his big, great moments. He was sworn in as governor of Alabama. He noted he was standing only feet from where the oath of office was given to the president of the Confederate States of America. And he gave the speech that would define his life... Once again, written by that guy, Ace Carter.
2: Today, I have stood where once Jefferson Davis stood and took an oath to my people. It is very appropriate that from this cradle of the Confederacy, this very heart of the great Anglo-Saxon Southland, that today we sound the drum for freedom as have our generation of forebears before us done time and again down through history let us rise to the call of freedom-loving blood that is in us and send our answer to the tyranny that clanks its chains upon the south in the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth i draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny and i say segregation now segregation tomorrow and segregation forever (laughs)
0: Well, I don't feel good about
1: that. Privately, however, George was quite clear that racism was not his guiding star. Only ambition was. He didn't hate black people, but he was more than willing to pretend that he did in order to achieve power. He said, quoted a number of times by different friends and associates, I started talking about schools and highways and prisons and taxes, but I couldn't make them listen. Then I began talking about the N-word, and they hollered and they stomped the floor.
0: That's so sad and gross.
1: So that's it for part one. We'll pick back up with George's career as governor. See what happens with Lurleen. See what happens when somebody tries to kill him. And his... Go trying to kill him. And sadly, this is when George, when Big Jim Folsom is at the end of his his thing. But I actually want to learn more about Big Jim. I want to, there's a documentary I want to check out. Because he seems like my kind of guy. Especially for his time. Like he was way yeah. ahead of the curve.
0: I mean... So how
1: you feeling about good old George Corley Wallace at this point?
0: Uh, I don't feel good about him. I mean, so far you've not changed my opinion one iota. I am a firm believer that he was a dangerous piece of shit. No,
1: I, I started with the thesis statement that he's a piece of shit. He's a Just dangerous... Not, this, not necessarily dangerous. the kind of piece of shit you... Th- Thought you were going to get when you first started.
0: No, he's worse.
1: Yeah, because he's not an actual died in the world racist. And in fact, you will see in the future, he's willing to 100% do a 180 on this. He doesn't believe this shit at all. He
0: doesn't believe this shit at all, but he'll still burn a cross on your lawn.
1: If that's what it takes for the power of George Wallace. And another thing you'll see going into this is that another thing he has kind of in common with Trump is that it seems pretty clear, like most politicians. They look at running a campaign as this thing you have to go through that sucks in order to get the office you want, the power in order to do the things you're trying to do. Whereas Wallace figures out he actually enjoys the campaigning. The campaign. He wants the, he, he wants the roar of the crowds and the, he and likes the applause, the chase. and he likes the chase. He doesn't actually care much about governing once he's actually there. He gets bored with it quite quickly.
0: Well, that's all, just great. So, I'm so looking forward to more of this
1: we have no idea dear listener when you're gonna hear this but whenever you do uh please check out uh my patreon uh which is patreon.com slash jamie chambers you can see stuff related to this content and more at my website jamiechambers.net, where you also find about things like upcoming twitch streams um the patreon will have bonus content we've already done one bonus episode and we've got more on the way and the bonus episodes are where we're gonna kind of let our hair down and Instead of me writing a big script, we'll mix it up and let Bambi lead the way. Or we'll just have a loose discussion about something without having to do a whole lot of research.
0: We, I have a few ideas. So if you're interested in actually listening to me talk or even possibly me read you a bedtime story.
2: Yeah,
1: we got Bambi's bedtime stories coming up. I was thinking about doing some very short format videos where like a really short historical point ties into something going on in the world right now. Like, for example, uh, you know, I've been seeing yet again more hatred for uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci and uh, the rumors of the horribleness of the vaccine. And oh my I'm reminded God. of that back when Dr. Uh, Richard Jenner, who is the creator of the smallpox vaccine, who may have saved more human lives than just about anybody. And yet in certain like European cities, they, they burned, burned him in, in effigy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just like crazy. How you know? So it's like little things like that showing how we don't learn anything from history but when people don't want to listen to us talk for like two hours, I'll say it in like one minute. Um, yeah. Now I don't know again when you guys are going to hear this episode. We said we're going to be supporting some uh, charitable donations for our listeners. I've got a new one and especially since we're talking about Alabama and labor rights and poor people. Um, right now, you may not know, but there is a huge strike going on for the United Mine Workers of America in Alabama. They're... Um, going up against a really awful hedge fund that bought out their old mine company and they need help to make it as long as it takes just to get just to get fair wages like right now they're being paid below the curb in one of the more dangerous like deep mines in north america Um, so you can check the show notes or if you can just search online for umwa strike fund for information on how you can help and you can either donate directly to their strike fund or you can donate food to their food pantry which gives groceries to to keep their kids fed during the whole thing And since that's in Alabama and kind of ties in, that seems appropriate enough for me.
0: Um, I've, and probably for the next few episodes, um, I'm going to go with everyone just kind of take care of you, uh, give yourselves and your loved ones a check-in, see if you guys are okay. Because we did talk about anxiety, which hits home for me a lot. I suffer, um, with generalized anxiety disorder, um and sometimes have a really hard time with it. I suffer from minor depression, but nothing big. But this last year seems to have been a lot for everyone and we have a whole world that is going completely crazy. There's mass shootings all the time. There's riots and burnings and hatred and just terrible things everywhere. So check on yourselves check on your loved ones and and make sure that everyone in your circle is okay because you can't do anything for anyone else if you're not taking care of yourself.
1: Yeah, I like that. Kind of like the analogy of the, you know, the mass that dropped down in an airplane for an emergency. Like you got to put got to take care of yourself before you're ready to assist somebody else. And but if you are in that situation where you think you might need some help, please reach out to someone. I mean, and if, you know, actual, you know, medical help is available to you, don't be ashamed or afraid to go look for that. But even if you just need a trusted friend or a family member to talk to and tell what you're going through, don't feel like you have to go through anything alone.
0: And the one problem, you know, don't push people away. Um, You know, check on, check on your, your loved ones, check in with people. If you haven't heard from someone in a while, it might be a good idea to, send him a message, send him a text, because everyone seems to be hurting right now, and in a lot more ways than most of us can even see or comprehend, so, you know, take care of you this week, and I hope to see you next time, if you want to see me on, actually, you won't even see me on Instagram, but if you want to follow my pets, <laughs> I'm at Pamby Chambers, And if you want to check out possibly some baking videos, you can shortly start looking for me on BakedBaking.net.
1: Neat. You will see a completely different side where she makes edibles.
0: I love edibles. I love them so much. But again, we uh, recently got some legal weed here in the state of Georgia. so. I am an excellent baker, and I've actually been dabbling in edibles over this last year because, again, depression, anxiety, and I have three herniated discs in my neck. So, yes, edibles, I had to learn how to make them, so I would like to teach you how to make them.
1: Edibles that are legal in your area are an excellent form of self-care. Absolutely.
0: Or, you can just smoke that shit. But, take care of you.
1: Until this t- next time, uh, you know... Disrespect uh racists from Alabama or any state.
0: Boo! Fuck racism.
1: And go big Jim.
0: Go big Jim. See ya.
1: Poor Lurley. Poor Lurley. See you next time.